I'm so excited to share another episode of Managing Well with you. I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Faith, who is one of the uh, policy authors for the American Medical Association declaring racism a public health issue and the impact that that has had on the healthcare system and the ways they've implemented the policy so that it doesn't just stay in words, but actually gets into practice to deliver more health equity. Um, we also talked about gun violence as an a, a issue that is also affecting, obviously, people who are losing their lives and are harmed and the medical system, right? And the impact that it has on medical professionals and their mental health. So we had an incredible conversation and I'm really excited to share it with you. Welcome to another episode of Managing Well. I'm your host, Tanya Lodipo, and I'm so excited to have this conversation with Dr. Faith Crittenden today. Dr. Faith is a highly accomplished physician and public health advocate with extensive experience in healthcare policy focused on health disparities and equity. She's currently completing her residency at, in pediatrics at Yale New Haven's Children's Hospital. She's also the author of several policies for various organizations, from racism as a public health issue to combating natural hair discrimination in medicine among children. Dr. Faith, I'm so excited to have you with us today to really talk about um, the disparities in healthcare and how that impacts us as um, individuals, but as a society. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Um, definitely always here to advocate and help people understand how they can best utilize healthcare here. Yes. So, you know, you say talk about best utilize healthcare. And as soon as you said that, it makes me think of being a consumer of healthcare, yeah. um, which I don't know if the system is set up that way, but that's how it made that, that your, your words made me think that. Um, and so I guess just say a little bit more about what you mean. Yeah, actually, um, I think now that we, the way that we look at healthcare, we should all consider ourselves consumers. I mean, the way that healthcare is in terms of like management, the structure of it now is more business-like than it is virtually you just coming to your doctor and getting a, a treatment or management. Um, you should understand that you have options. Um, if you don't like one hospital system, you can always go to another. Um, if you want to like work with one doctor, you can go, or, or if you don't like that doctor, you can go to another. Um, you have options and you have choices. And I think that leads you into understanding you have the right to ask for what you want. However, also understanding within the realm of medicine that we want to practice evidence-based. Okay. And what do you mean when you're saying practicing evidence-based? So when people are saying maybe don't have a great experience and then they want to switch systems, what, what are, what are they looking for? So when I say evidence-based, we want to practice what medicine is saying is what we're saying is the right thing for at that time. So if I'm, um, you come in and you're having an asthma exacerbation, I'm going to give you albuterol because we've shown proven that albuterol works in asthma exacerbations. I'm not going to give you um, something like water because I know that's not going to help you with an asthma exacerbation. We're going to stick to what the medicine says. Mm -hmm. However, if you're saying, I don't like this current doctor treating me, you obviously have the right to get in a second opinion, always have the right to talk to someone else. And can we, I want to, um, thank you. Thank you for the, the answer. And I also, when you were saying, you know, if you don't like how this doctor is treating me, the, the right to talk to someone else. So can we talk about that for a little bit? Um, I was actually on LinkedIn this morning and I saw something that said medical gaslighting. <laughs> <laughs> Downplaying the pain that you're feeling or ignoring what you're saying you need. And so I think I would love to hear because you've done so much policy work, right? Um, 
I would love to hear your perspective on, on not being treated well. And I don't know if I want to say by an individual provider, because I often feel like it's, it's, it's more than one provider. It's a system. I remember seeing something and I think maybe you retweeted it on, on Instagram, um, of an EMT taking a black, an elderly black woman in an ambulance to the hospital. And the woman was, that was really upset because her hair wasn't done. Yeah. She said, I need my hair to be done because they will treat me better. And so the EMT combed her hair in the ambulance to ensure she got great care, better care at the hospital. And so just speak a little bit more about when we're not getting good care. Why is that? What can we do about it? Yeah, um, I think a lot of the times people who um, tend to experience bad care are those who are part of minority groups. A lot of that comes from, obviously, you can say systemic racism, white supremacy, we can just put that out there. Um, and when people think of healthcare, they try to think that it's not there and present, but we know it's there and present. Um, we know that the people who are interacting in society will be the ones that interact within the hospital system. Mm -hmm. So acknowledging that exists mm -hmm. is a part of um, the healthcare world. Now, in terms of like dealing with um, bad treatment, that also comes from not knowing how to advocate for yourself. Um, if you have not had a, like run-ins, I wouldn't say run-ins, but if you have not really dealt with the system medicine, sometimes you don't know how to go about advocating for yourself. And sometimes um, when you are frustrated with the system, when you feel like you're not being heard, you know, we tend to, as people, everyone, regardless of race, tend to react in a way to get attention. Mm. And sometimes people who haven't dealt with a certain group or community um, correctly will react in a certain way. So a lot of times we see sometimes within the hospital system policing in a certain way because people have reacted to bad news or they're not reacting with the way that people think they should react. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that comes from just not knowing how to work with the system and work with certain people, as well as the people within the system not knowing how to work with you. So how, so I want to make sure I'm understanding. So as a patient, how to advocate for myself that if people are not listening to me or if people are, you use the term policing my behavior because I don't like the news I'm getting, what I might need to do differently to get the information or help and support that I need for myself as a patient. And then yeah. you're also saying for the medical providers to be aware of their biases and their behaviors that might exacerbate a situation, right? And how to make those changes. I think from the patient perspective, it's knowing that even though these people have been in your community, they're not really of your community, sadly. Wait, A lot I'm of them- say, Dr. Faith, say that, say that again. <laughs> Even though these health providers are in your community, meaning that they could have worked in the hospital system for 30 years, doesn't mean that they're living in your community, doesn't mean that they're interacting with people in their community. Some of them are, but not all of them. Some of them are literally going to work and going home to their communities. Mm -hmm. So when they don't have a strong community connection with you, they don't really know how to interact with you. So as a patient, keeping that in mind. But also, once you come in there, like setting your own boundaries and standards, saying like, hey, I want to be addressed like this. Like saying that I really want you to answer this question that's important to me. This is my primary concern. Mm 
And once they understand that language, like, okay, this is what they're coming in for, they're more likely to respond and answer your question. But when you come in with a thousand questions at once, and rightfully that happens, especially in emotional situations, a lot of the times, even as a regular person, just walking around the street, having a lot of questions asked to you, that's a lot to handle at once. But making sure that you distill down your answers or your questions to one and figure out how they can answer that one question first before you get to the other ones. Okay. Okay. You know, you said something earlier about, um, cause I think those are really practical tips for all of us, right? Because as we were talking earlier, I was saying, you know, ideally all of us are, are patients because ideally <laughs> I'm a patient too, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> ideally we go to the doctor. Um, and so I have some, a story just came to mind that I also have a question. My question is, um, how, like how medical providers need to do, do things differently. And I think what came to mind, the idea of um, we're all patients is I was actually talking to somebody uh, who who was a physician and um, didn't go to the doctor <laughs> and their doctor, <laughs> right? but their doctor was really persistent in calling and calling and calling um, to get them in and found some concerning information that they wouldn't have known had they not actually you know, had that appointment. And I, what struck me about that, that situation was how persistent the doctor's office was in calling to get that patient in. And it, it was unusual. I don't see that often. And so I'm just kind of curious to hear from like a, a medical and systems perspective of how are we working with people to get them the treatment they need? I think every physician is different, um, but I do believe every physician tries their best. Now, is there a system at play that really makes us not interact as well with everyone as we should be doing? Absolutely. And I think that's one thing that we have lost in the auto medicine is really having strong connections with the people that we care for. A lot of it is because of the documentation that we have to do. A lot of it is because we have to do these patient satisfaction questionnaires. Um, that really take up all our time, um, but that also takes away from the human connection that we can have with our patients. Um, and because of that, I think patients feel like we're disconnected in the room because we have to make sure that we have things like an EMR, be, making sure that we're, we're listening to you, but we also have to document it within the computer, which really sucks. Um, and I know in the generation that I have coming up, we're more conscious about it, um, but we do have to fight those things because of the system issue of, with the EMR systems and how things are set up. Electronic medical records, is that what you're yes. referring to? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hear that there's a lot that uh, medical professionals have to balance in addition to trying to provide good medical care. Yeah. Right? I mean, imagine most people go into medicine because they want to help people. Oh, absolutely. I think not I, I all the other that. things they have to do. <laughs> but not realizing the aspect of how the system's set up, you kind of just um, really see how the way that our medical system, especially in America, is set up that we don't really care about the patient anymore, which is sad. Mm-hmm. Um, because now, like going back to the whole thing in the beginning, consumerism, it really is what healthcare is. And so when you're talking about kind of consumerism and, and the way I'm hearing like medicine as a business, as opposed to the focus on the, on the person, um, what does like, what's patient advocacy look like from a medical and systems perspective? I think it, it really looks at um, the person really um, not only understanding the system, but working with the community within the system. 
understanding that when you come in, there's a nurse that talks to you in the beginning or someone there to kind of figure out your concerns. Realizing if you're in an academic type of hospital, like the big names, like Mayo Clinic, Yale, Harvard, those type of systems, you're, you're in a teaching hospital. So there's different people that you're going to see. Um, so when you have to repeat your story, it's not because we want to just hear it again. It's because we want to make sure that everyone on the team understands what's going on with you. Um, understanding that um, there's a hierarchy. So you have sometimes the medical students coming in first, then the um, physician who's still in training, and then you have one who's like the head or supervising doctor, which we say the attending, who's really over the whole team that will come in and see you. Um, and being patient with that because um, the people that are interacting with you will be the doctors of the future. So when you send them away or when you send them, you know, to not be involved in your care, that really takes away opportunities for them to know how to interact with you and people in your community when it comes later in their lives and their training. And so that's an interesting perspective, because I'll have to say as a patient, I'm not a fan of when, <laughs> <laughs> of when I have students and and part of it and I've and I, I've given this feedback. Part of it is I, I haven't had the experience of them being appropriately introduced. I've had the experience of going into a room and then there are just a bunch of people who start walking in and then the doctor starts talking to me. And I'll stop and I'll say, excuse me, who else is here? Yeah. And so now I'm already on the defensive. So like, no, I don't want all these other people. And however, had they changed their approach and said, I'm the attending, this is my student, or this is like, you know, the intern, whatever, whatever their role is to introduce them, right? To yeah. give to give me the respect of, of knowing who is participating in my care, but then also to give them the respect absolutely, so that I'm more willing to, to have them. So there's this, I feel like, and you said this earlier, Dr. Faith, I feel like there's this human um, connection moments that are often missed yeah. and then emotions get heightened quickly. No, absolutely. And I think it's a disservice both ways, right? It's a disservice to you as a patient feeling that you don't have that autonomy to say like who I want in the room first, or that, um, you know, for the people who are in training, trying to figure out, should I be in the room? Um, is, if you're not and introducing people once they walk in the room, it definitely makes it an awkward situation, regardless of, you know, who's feeling that way in the moment. Yeah. And so I know you do a lot of, you've done a lot and are still doing a lot of policy-based work. And so I'm curious with your policy work, how does that, how does that impact the medical training of, 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 of students and current physicians? Because I was listening to one of your podcasts um, and I was, I, uh, episodes and I was, I was hearing the generational difference um, in medicine. And I, I, I think it ha probably happens in lots of industries, but in medicine, <laughs> the, the stakes are high. Yeah. stakes are very high. And so when we think of kind of people who've been in the field for a long time, this is how we've always done it. And then the newer generation coming in, trying to learn how to perhaps keep what was working. And to your point in the podcast, make some changes of what wasn't working, right? Not doing things that are going to create more harm. Um, I'm curious how your policy work kind of helps, helps massage that. Like, is that, does that, does that, um, does that help people who are in training? Does it help them once they're out of training? I'm just trying to kind of get a sense of yeah. where that comes into play. 
Yeah, I can definitely just take um, the bigger policy that um, has gotten a lot of attention within the American Medical Association or, or what we call the AMA, which is the racism is a public health issue. Um, with that, um, that caused a systematic change within medicine, um, not just um, within, you know, the AMA and the physicians that we see there, but also seeing that the CDC is taking what we wrote and kind of implementing it. Um, different aspects of um, medical schools are now requiring that you have to have um, some diversity, inclusion, or cultural humility aspect to training, um, trying to change people's mindsets, really them understanding that that's important understanding that racism is a problem in medicine. We can't continue on um, making sure that um, people are, uh, regardless of race, ethnicity, background, sexuality, that they're all getting the same type of health care. Um, and I think that comes from, yes, we put it in policy, but it's also the implementation of that policy. Um, you can have people, I mean, I can write a beautiful policy, but if people aren't behind it and believing in it, it doesn't really matter. Um, and I think that's one thing that we can say that um, which I'm going to put out there, yes, the AMA in the past has done horrible things and I will acknowledge that and stuff like that. But this time they got it right when it came to that and making sure that they didn't just um, have a policy, but they put people in place to implement that policy with like the work of Dr. Aletha Maybank, who's at their health equity center and her team has really done um, a lot to implement a lot of the health equity work as well as addressing systemic racism within medicine. So say, say, if you don't mind, say more. Well, actually, let me pause for a minute because <laughs> I'm getting really excited. Uh, but I think, Dr. Faith, I just, I want to pause myself because that policy was incredible. <laughs> it uh, wasn't just me. It wasn't just me. It was a group of us. I hear that. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> um, and... I'm appreciative to everybody who was involved because um, it, it never is one person and I'm talking to you. So <laughs> I really just wanted to um, acknowledge how monumental it was for, for you and your team to be able to have the AMA with the history that it has had to acknowledge that racism is part of medicine and needs to be done differently. Yeah. And then to your point, and I have questions about this, um, not just writing a beautiful policy that then sits on the shelf and nothing happens, right? But to your point, like they got it right. So they wrote the policy, they published the policy, they implemented the policy, right? Um, and so I would love to hear your take on how they implemented the policy, because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. They'll say like, yes, of course we believe in equity. Of course we want everybody to be treated the same, but then they don't really know how to make that happen. So what did the AMA do really well in the implementation phase? Well, one thing we have um, every meeting, so we have a meeting in June, we have a meeting in November, um, sometimes in Chicago, um, sometimes, sometimes other where, other places. Um, where now physicians who are part of the AMA, AMA are required to attend health equity sessions. Um, they're required to sit down and grapple with, you know, um, systemic racism. We're, they're required to sit down and grapple with discrimination, um, making sure that we talk about not only the history of the AMA and understanding what we did wrong, but also talk about the future aspects. So we're talking about things about making sure we're addressing things in AI, as you guys see with chat, the GBT, like we want to make sure that bias is addressed in that because we know that's going to impact health. We're making sure that we're talking about what's going on currently within our country, what our patients 
patients are experiencing outside of the hospital as well as inside of the hospital as well as we're seeing now um, in academic centers, especially um, in hospitals that their grand rounds are now talking about health equity stuff. So if they're having patient um, you know, cases that are very complex and have a social issues, we're not just ignoring it. We're sitting there, we're talking it out, we're showing where the team could have um, done better or where we could have meet the patients. Um, we've done that several times um, here at Yale as where we're talking about patient cases and we're sitting down, we're talking about where we had our missteps, what we could have done better, how the team could have better served them. Um, there, this is conversations happening all over the country and it's being incorporated into our education system. So now we have a system where we know this is how we need to do better and how we interact with people. That's great. That's great. I mean, that's a true kind of class in how how to make significant change from a policy level that trickles down to affect everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> that must feel really good to know that you have an impact. You know, I, I often, when I think of healthcare and I think of the opportunity for them to do so much better, like, like I said earlier, like there are just not that many industries where it's life and death, you know, yeah. like, a lot of people go to work like it's going to be okay. You might have had a bad day, but it's going to be okay. The healthcare is the only like yeah. one of the few industries, I should say, where like it really is life and death. And so the the need for the work that you've been doing um, is is significant. Absolutely, and I think that's why um, everyone who like I worked with is super passionate because we understand it's life and death. We understand it's important um, to make sure that we're passing policy um, that. We know um, when it goes through organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics or the um, American Medical Association, it's not going to just affect us, it will affect the country. Um, anything that we pass at our meetings will be on the news, <laughs> um, which right. is, is, is crazy to think. Um, so we're very conscious, we're very intentional to making sure that we're passing policy that when a patient just sees it on the news or they hear about it, that is something that is going to improve their lives and not be detrimental. I remember actually hearing about it on the news and I was stunned. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> They're saying that structural racism exists. Um, and we also said pr police brutality um, is a form of structural racism. We also yes. said that race is not biology. We also said um, we need to get rid of racial, um, racist algorithms within um, healthcare um, that have impacted specifically Black Americans um, when it comes to like GFR, looking at kidney function, getting them kidney transplants and getting them on the list. Like we've been tackling this like step by step because it, we understand with just just saying that racism is a public health issue is a foundational policy. Mm -hmm. But us building upon that is what we need to do in order to really get to the point of saying white supremacy is our issue in healthcare, as well as it is across the country. So say I if you could say more, and maybe if you have an example of what you just said, right? That like white that ultimately white supremacy is the issue um and racism exists in healthcare like how does that i understand what you're saying but i'm wondering if you dr faith have have a story or an example of how that kind of plays out in everyday life i mean we can see it right now i mean a lot of the times we're dealing with um sadly with a lot of it is gun control 
I mean, um, the AAP has been very outspoken about this, the AMA as well, talking about how gun control itself is an issue, um, a public health issue that we need to take a stance on. Um, but the amount of times that we are having children now, children are being killed and we are sitting here and doing nothing, goes back to, you know, how we are seeing gun legislation, the people, their rights to have guns. Now it's the Second Amendment right, but does everyone really need to have a gun? I mean, we're seeing that it's having detrimental effect on our youth at this point. The number one um, way children are dying in this country is by gun violence. Right. right. And to, to kind of make the connection even stronger, the point of gun control and how, how kids and people are dying and how that impacts like the medical system. Oh, yeah. I mean, right? people forget that we're the first ones that respond exactly. to this. Exactly. We're getting, exactly. you know, the... You know, we have to go home to our families too and say, like, I today treated a four-year-old who had a gunshot wound. Exactly. How does that affect me mentally and exactly. psychologically? And now it's becoming something of a norm. Mm -hmm. And now you're having healthcare providers experience this over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's affecting their mental health as well. I mean, as you can see, I mean, from the pandemic, we've had a lot of people leave healthcare because of current burnout. I mean, we don't want to continue to have this gun epidemic be an issue where more people are leaving because I, they're like, I can no longer treat children from gunshot wounds. Like nobody really thinks about that effect, but it is happening. No, you're, I mean, I see that. I was just reading an article the other day that um, I know that um, medical um, students were, have who graduated, right? Were, were placed, I don't know that, I can't remember the name of the process, Um that they were matched, right? They're match day, right? Matched to institutions. And how so many, um, so many institutions have unfilled spots because people don't, aren't going into healthcare the way they would. And especially, I think they were saying in the emergency department that those spots are the ones that are open because people don't want to be in that field of medicine the way they used to because of what you're saying with the pandemic and all of the gun violence and like that it's not something that is as desired as it used to be because of the impact it has on on medical professionals i think also with that um a lot of it also has to do with again going back to what we talked about again consumerism and medicine a lot of people are not choosing emergency medicine because it's being taken over by business it's no longer you're treating the patient, but you're dealing with businesses. And a lot of times they end up firing a lot of emergency medicine doctors in order to bring in like APRNs and APs who they can pay lower amounts versus having a emergency medicine physician there. What are APNs and what? Oh, um, physician assistants or um, advanced nurse practitioners who are great and stuff like that. But when they're being used by corporations and stuff like that to, in order to weed out doctors to pay them less, mm -hmm. I don't think that's fair for patients who should have a right to know what's going on. And a lot of people are missing that, you know, takeover by business within healthcare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. If you were to give um, recommendations or advice to somebody who is leading a healthcare team, what would you recommend they do to to reduce the the disparities that we see in healthcare, the racial disparities specifically? You know, I I know that they're now that you know it's required for medical students to have equity training, and so I know that the policies have been implemented and are happening. And I'm also kind of curious for like real time in the moment, what can what can providers do who are leading teams and then individual providers themselves do to to practice equity in healthcare consistently? 
Yeah. I think um, for anyone who's leading a healthcare team, regardless whether they're an attending physician or they're a um, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, I think you need to start off your day with a mantra and really look at um, what are your goals that you want to accomplish with your patients today. Now, if you have a complex um, family social situation, you know, everyone's having a, a concern with this family. I think you need to take a step back and realize, okay, what is the bigger picture? What is this family asking of me? And what are we not giving them from what they're asking? Because mm. is it a misunderstanding of them not understanding why we're taking this approach, regardless of um, the healthcare situation? Is it their, them not understanding, um, maybe they have low health literacy when it comes to medicine. They're like, I don't understand why you need to do this. Mm -hmm. And taking the time to really sit down with them and explain, okay, this is why we're thinking like this. What are you coming from? And I think we in medicine are moving from, um, us dictating the the care, but really having shared decision making. I think that's one way of looking at it. Secondly, is like, what is the health or the equity disparities in this situation when I'm dealing with this patient? So what is, are they coming from a, like a low income background? Are they coming from a high income background, but they're still not understanding what's going on? Just because, and a lot of this, we see this in pediatrics, just because someone is a high power attorney or they're a PhD does not mean that they understand how they, their kids should be taken care of. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Even other physicians, if they're not really a pediatrician, they, they really don't know how to take care of kids. Right. Um, so I think taking care of that bias, regardless of whether they should know or should not know, just looking at the person and saying, okay, how can I help you in this situation to understand what needs to happen here? So and really bringing it back to like patient-centered, people-centered treatment, exactly. right? What does this person in front of me need? Not what do I assume they need? Exactly. Not what do I think they should know already, but what, what do they need? And then how do I give it to them, right? How do I share that, to your point, share that information and then decision with them. Absolutely. And let them know and inform them. I think one thing that um, happened with the CARES Act is most people don't realize that they have access to all their doctor's notes, access to all their doctor's notes, access to all their lab results. They can look at anything. I mean, sometimes like I have parents who are very, you know, active users of their MyChart, which is like a part of the um, electronic medical record system where they can see a result before I can see a result. And I mean, <laughs> I'm happy for them to see it, but sometimes I'm like, oh, give me a minute, let me process what they're, they're coming back. So I'm, I'm making sure I'm telling you the right thing, but you have it at your fingertips and I mm -hmm. want people to use it. I mean, and that allows us to have shared decision making together because now you're seeing your results for yourself. It's not something I'm telling you verbally. It's something that you can see. You know, there's been in my in kind of my experience. I'm curious to hear yours. Um, this um, hierarchy of of medical professionals, right? <clears throat> um, that the status, the status of medical professionals, right? Like, ooh, they're a doctor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the reverence sometimes that people give to people with with status, yeah, yeah, can actually, I think, be detrimental to the way people interact with medical professionals, right? And so part of it, I think is status, um, as I said, but also I think part of it is is fear hmm. and um, thoughtful hesitation because of the history, right? Of the medical system. Like there's a lot of reasons black people oh, are going to the doctor, right? There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of people, like there are a lot of trans folk 
who don't like going to the doctor. Like there are a lot of people who have been harmed by the medical community and institutions that have a very valid uh, mistrust of the system. Um, And so it makes it, it makes it really hard, I think, to engage with, with that system. And so I think what I've kind of come to realize, I'm curious your perspective, that there's a lot of, I think, um, thought and energy that actually goes into being a patient to get the care to 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 get the care that you deserve because you're not always going to get it yeah. like you have to work to get the care that you deserve which means finding the provider who is going to see you and who is going to like see you as a human being not just a number who's going to talk to you respectfully who's going to share information and decision making with you that's a whole process I remember the beginning of the pandemic, I wanted to switch doctors. Yeah. There's one, there's one specialist that like I literally just saw this year because it took me that long to find somebody and then make an appointment. And then like it, I think her waiting list was over a year to finally, I wanted a black endocrinologist. It took me that long to, to, to get in with her. And so to do all of that takes a lot of time and effort um, that we don't make space for. And so I'm just kind of curious, like that's, this is a patient perspective. <laughs> I'm kind of curious from you, Dr. Faith, like how, um, I don't know, like what, what that experience is like for, for you. In terms, sorry, I just want to, cause it was a lot, but it what was, was your lot, question? <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I was, I was with you and I was like, oh, I forgot your question. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I think my question, it was a lot of my, my train of thought. And then my question is, um, is that something that we should expect as patients that we have to be in control of our own our own health care? I think, and and maybe this is not the answer people want to hear, but I, I think you do. I mean, regardless of like if if this was another industry and stuff like that, let's just say like it's the banking industry. Mm-hmm. You should be in charge of you would want want to be in charge of your own money, right? It, I mean, money is a tool, but your health is your life. I mean, I would expect you to want to, you know, be in control of your health. I would expect you mm-hmm. to want to be an active participant in how, you know, we're giving you health care. Um, you know, I'm not expecting you to know everything, but at least be asking the questions, but at least feel that you can ask those questions um, a lot of the times. I mean, one thing I can say, I parents who, um, who I interact with, because again, I'm in pediatrics, um, when we do like the nine month or the 18 month visit, and we're kind of screening for things that are like developmental delays, like in terms of like language delay, speech delay, like their movement delay, mm-hmm. or um, as well as concerns for autism, you know, that's when parents are like absolutely, you know, honed in or like, my baby, nothing's wrong with my child. Um, and they just want to say that because I understand um, they're going to a defense mode or, per, you know, a parent protective mode of their kid because they don't want something to be quote unquote wrong. Um, but I think at that point, that's a great place to have an open dialogue and saying like, hey, I'm noticing that your child's doing this, which is different from what I'm seeing in other children. Not saying that there's anything wrong with your child, but I want to start, and, I, and it's a, sometimes the conversation that you have to have with parents is that I want to give them the resources now so that when they get older, they're fine. Like, you know, they're, they're functioning, they're doing well, they're a productive member of society, but it's kind of hard within that moment to hear that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a lot of times um, patients should definitely take control of their health. Absolutely. But feel free to ask those questions to understand the perspective of what the doctor's coming from. Not because they want to harm you, but because they really want to make sure you have all the resources you need. 
I really appreciate that perspective. And I, I, I love the actually comparison to another industry. Like you would, you would pay attention to your own money. So why wouldn't you? I'm, I'm just saying you would, you want to like, 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 where's you my would. money going here? You would go to the bank every day and, and check. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that analogy um, to make it really clear. Like this is, this is our, so the medical system has, has work to do and is doing work to create health equity. And as consumers of the medical system, right? Our job is to make sure that we are tending to ourselves and getting the information that we need and being really active in our in our healthcare as opposed to passive, which again is not easy and right and is is necessary. So that that's really really helpful. And I love you know because you're a pediatrician when you talk about how parents receive the information about their children, um, to be able to do that for yourself too, right? Yeah. Like parents take their kids to the doctor. Oh, absolutely. They follow up, right? <laughs> and so to parent yourself as an adult and take yourself to the doctor, <laughs> follow up with the doctor, just like you would for your kids to absolutely. be your own advocate, your own advocate. I I am um, thankful uh, for our time together and for your insights and I really, I know I said this earlier. Um, in some ways, I really am in awe. You know, Dr. Faith, I think there are, I think there are moments that, um, especially in the past few years, um, but there are moments, I think, in our lifetime where, you know, it feels like you're struggling and then you're two steps forward, one step back. And you don't always remember or see like, like, wait, when I'm actually in the middle of history making right now, right? Which yeah. is might, why might be why it feels so challenging. <laughs> um, but like you are very much a part of the history making and the influence that you had and have with the AMA is is incredible. And so I'm um, thank thank you. No, I mean thank you. I mean, sometimes when you're in it, like I don't. I'm pretty sure like years down the road, I'll, I'll reflect back on this moment and be like, oh, wow, I, I actually did some cool stuff. Um, <laughs> but in the moment, you're just like, I'm honed in because I care every night, you know, when I go to bed, I care about my community. I care about people who look like me. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I go to work, that's what I care about. You know, I'm always making sure that they are okay. I mean, do I take care of myself at the end of the day too? Absolutely, because I need to be around to take care of them. But <laughs> I want to make sure that they're okay too and that they feel that the healthcare system, especially in America, will work for them, especially that they can feel like they can advocate, they can find physicians who care for them, um, who, regardless of race. There's people out there who do care about you and they don't have to look, at, look like you to care about you. You'd be surprised who's in the room with me advocating for Black people, advocating for Native Americans, advocating from those who are Hispanic, um, those who are LGBTQ. You'd be surprised who they are, but they're there. They are there. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for reminding us of that. Thank you. Is there anything that you would like to, to, to share with us or say more about that I might not have asked? No, I mean, this was great. I really enjoyed my time with you. Okay. Good. <laughs> I, I did too. I, I, you've got me, um, really energized. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I feel like I learned a lot. Um, in fact, I had to hesitate. I, I kept wanting to like write notes down. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, 
I feel like I was I was learning a lot from from our conversation, and so just really really thank you for your time, of course, uh, sharing your expertise with us. And I can't wait to see more of the incredible work that you're doing oh, to bring you. health equity to to the country. Really, so thank you, Dr. Faith. Appreciate it. Thank you you for listening to Managing Well. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more about today's episode, go to theladipogroup.com slash podcast for a worksheet on today's episode. A special thanks to my podcast team and the Ladipo Group who supports this show. Managing Well is produced and edited by Black Faves Brand Studio. I'm your host, Tanya Ladipo. If you have any questions or topics you want to discuss, email me at managingwellpodcast at theladipogroup.com.